0: All right. Um, Well, per popular, back by popular demand, I've been told that I haven't done a dad joke in a while and I need to do a dad joke. So I've got a couple dad jokes before we get rolling into the message. Dad jokes are a way of life for me. Listen, I was doing dad jokes before I was a dad. This was just the core of my being was dad jokes. Okay. Um, Why are elevator jokes so classic and good? They just work on so many levels. You guys, they work so many levels they work. Okay. Why do fathers take an extra pair of socks when they go golfing? In case they get a hole in one. All right. All right. That was a good that was a good response. That the cringe is even better for me. I enjoy the I enjoy the cringe. More than even, even laugh out loud. I, I enjoy the cringe. <clears throat> All right. Well, um, we are in a series called Jesus Encounter. We have been talking about the person, the power, um, the various anointings and titles of the Lord Jesus. It says in uh, Psalm chapter 9, verse 10, Those who know your name will put their trust in you. Those who know your name will put their trust in you. Um, Notice that it it says those who understand, know the names of God, know know who he is, will inevitably put their trust in him. Uh, Notice it's not the other way around. It's not those who trust in him will know his name. It's those who know his name will trust in him. So how many know that when we learn the various names and roles and titles of the Lord Jesus, the inevitable outcome for us is that we will have absolute trust for him. We will trust him more and more the more we understand the nature and the person of the Lord Jesus. We will find out what he is like. Um, It says in uh, Colossians chapter 3 verses 1, it says this, "...since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above." where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden in Christ in God. Listen, you want to find yourself? You want to find who you were always created to be and made to be? You will find it in the person of Jesus. Why? Because your life is hidden in Christ in God. Many people go on a, you know, searching around the world, like, I'm gonna, I gotta go find myself, they go on a backpacking trip, or they go around the world, what are they doing, they're looking for themselves, listen, I'll give you a shortcut, you want to find yourself, if you're a Christian, your life is hidden in Christ and Jesus, that's when you'll find out who you're always meant to be, your identity is in him, and um, so, I'm I'm not discouraging hiking, and going around the world, and doing some cool things, but you can go, do all those things, knowing who you already are, (laughs) amen, so, We've been exploring the person of the Lord Jesus. He is amazing. I'm in love with I'm in love with this person, the Lord Jesus. And the more I learn about him, the more I want to trust him, the more I want to give my heart to him. Here's, here's some of the names of Jesus. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the bright morning star. The light of the world, the prince of peace, the bread of life, our great high priest, the vine, the living water, the good shepherd, the savior, the door, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is all those things and more. Find out who Jesus is and you will realize he is worthy of your absolute trust. He's worthy of your absolute faith. He he is worthy of everything you will ever be and are. Amen? So that's what we've been doing in this series. Uh, Part one, I did a message called Jesus, Our Messiah. We talked about the fact that the the Bible from really Genesis, almost right at the beginning of the Bible, uh, proclaims and begins to talk about a Messiah that is to come that makes all the things that are wrong, right. And this Messiah would crush the head of the serpent and crush the power of sin and death. And that Messiah is clearly portrayed throughout the Old Testament as Jesus. Jesus fulfilled that role as prophet, priest, and king in the Old Covenant. He is our Messiah. Uh, Part two, last week I did a message called Jesus, Our God. We highlighted the fact that Jesus was not just a man, but he was and he is and he always will be and always has been God. Jesus is God in the flesh. He isn't just divine. He is divinity. He isn't just from God. He is God. He isn't just the Son of God. He is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. We talked about that last week, and I felt it was important to do that message. It seems to be um, basic teaching within the circles of Christianity that Jesus is divinity, but I've discovered over the last few months that some people um, that reality was being questioned in a lot of people's hearts. And it was like, well, let's go to the Bible, and let's, let's talk about all the scriptures that highlight the fact that Jesus is God. So he's our Messiah. He's our God. This week, I want to highlight and I want to talk about another aspect of Christ, and that is Jesus the man. The man, the mystery, the legend. <laughs> Jesus the man. Jesus the human. Okay? Okay. I want to talk about what an amazing gift it is to us that it should be to us that God came and took on the form of a human, and Jesus, now that he's ascended into heaven, represents us before God in heaven. He is our representative in heaven. How many, uh, remember I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, we have representatives in government. We have representatives that um, go to the capital, and they're supposed to represent us in uh, the state capital, the, the national capital, and they're supposed to represent their constituents. They're supposed to um, go to bat for us. And um, you know, the United States is a representative democracy, or more accurately described as a constitutional republic. We have representatives that go to go to bat for us. And do they represent us perfectly? No. Um, occasionally, um, you find a good one. You find a good one who really goes to bat for their constituents, and it's like, man, they didn't forget where they came from, right? A lot of times, I think, um, our representatives and senators, they go to Washington, D.C., and then, like, they forget where they came from, and then they get sucked into the culture there, and they get sucked into the, the swamp, so to speak, there, and forget they're supposed to be representing the people that voted them in, right? But here's, here's the deal. Occasionally, you find a really good uh, senator or representative that represents us well but here's the deal we have a representative in heaven who perfectly represents us before God Jesus is our perfect representative and he is God's perfect representative to us Jesus Jesus said this if you've seen me you've seen the Father He is he is He is God's perfect representative of us. It says this in Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. We read this verse a couple weeks ago. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. Okay? Jesus represents God to us. He is God in the flesh. But also... He is the perfect representation. He represents God perfectly to us, but he's also the perfect representation of humanity to God. And let's make that personal. He represents you personally to God. Not just humanity in general. You individually, you personally. He represents you to the Father. Jesus understands exactly what it's like to walk a day in your shoes. Completely. He understands exactly what it's like. He doesn't just understand what it's like to walk in your shoes by virtue of his omniscience. That is, he, he knows everything there is to know. He possesses all knowledge. He doesn't just understand what it's like to walk in your shoes by knowing all things. He understands what it's like to walk in your shoes by experience. By, he understands the human experience by experience because he became a human. He knows what it's like. He knows your frame. He knows what the human experience is all about. This is what makes... Him, our perfect representative to God, and God's perfect representative to us. He understands the human experience, and he has complete and total empathy for your situation, for what you're going through, for what you have gone through. Isn't this good? Don't you love that? So many other religions in the world, you have a definition of religion as man's obligation to God. And we're trying to please God, and we're trying to work hard to be good enough for him. Listen, Christianity is, is, is the opposite. In Christianity, God came and he served man. Think about that. And he came and took on the form of a human being, and he came to us. Billy Graham told this story um, back when he was alive and doing evangelism. He told this story. He said that one day he was walking along with his, um, with his son, and they stepped on an anthill. And his son said to him, "Oh, don't you wish we could, be, we could help them? Fix their house. Don't you wish we could become an aunt and help them uh, fix their house and take the ones we injured to the ant hospital? And couldn't, don't you wish we could help them? And Billy Graham thought to himself, that is a perfect illustration of what Christ did for us, what God did for us. He, he saw us and our, our frailty, he saw us and our separation from him, realized we were completely helpless to help ourselves, and thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come to them, I'm going to become one of them, and I'm going to lead them out. I'm going to show them the way by being one of them. He knows the human experience. He's not just the God in heaven who knows all things. He knows it by experience. Uh, let me give you an illustration of this. Um, when we, when, when my wife and I started the church, uh, we will have our five-year anniversary of starting the church in January, which is... Super cool, and uh, the fact that we've kept, kept this going, yeah yay, yeah, yeah, it worked. I think i've had my doubts along the way, but it worked you know um, but about five years ago, um, you know, I did some church planter training and they 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 teach you a lot of things and and one of the things they teach you is like how to raise how to raise money because you need to raise money um, to start a church, you need signage and speakers and instruments and all this kind of stuff that costs a lot of money. And one of the things the teacher's like, okay, so you're going to have to find people with deep pockets, and you're going to have to go to them, and you're going to have to get a meeting with them, and you're going to have to sit down with them, and you're going to have to pitch the vision, and you've got you to gotta know the vision, and you've got to tell the story, and, and why you're, you know, give them the why. And then at the end of that meeting, you have to come and you have to do the ask. The ask is like, and, and will you help me? Will you partner with me? And there's nothing wrong with that. People do that It's part of the process of raising money and starting churches or or any organization for that matter. But for me, it felt nauseating. It's like, I don't (laughs) want to do that, you know. Um, Nothing wrong with it, but I didn't want to do it. And I thought, why don't I do something inspiring instead? And um, I, I love to hike. We love to hike 14ers in Colorado. It's part of our reason why we love the state. And I thought, let's do something inspiring. And I did a fundraiser where I hiked uh, 14,000 14, foot peaks in 14 days. So 14, 14 ers in 14 days. And we call it, we call it the Kurt Climbs fundraiser. And um, it, went, it went really great. We weren't really looking at even if people were giving. And about halfway through, we, we checked. And we're like, okay, people are actually giving. I'm not just up here hiking mountains, although that would have been fine by itself. Um, <laughs> you know, because I love to do it. Um, but... And we raised, we raised through that fundraiser. We raised about thirty thousand dollars, which helped us with seed money to get this going. But here's the deal: many people prayed for us while we were up there on the mountains hiking. I had people here in Greeley that were prayer walking the city, praying for city lights, praying for us as we were um, as we were doing this. Um, many people gave. Obviously, we raised about thirty thousand just in that one fundraiser. Um, a lot of people helped us get the word out. We had people who, several people who wrote articles for newspapers. Um, it got a mention on the radio. Um, so there were people that helped get the word out. But there was a fourth group of people, and this is, this is a, a unique group of people, and, I, and this is the, the people. I invited people to come up. Hey, if you want to hike a 14er with me, you can come do that with me. And I had, um, I don't know the exact number, but several people um, almost every day I had someone with me to hike one of those 14,000-foot peaks. In fact, is there anyone in this room? I know Emily and... <laughs> last, last service, there was... So there's Josh and Nicole Nelson, J.D. Ferris, Brandon Alicia Miller, the Hendersons, Bryson Vasquez, Ben Miller, um, lots of people, and, and many more that I didn't name, came up and hiked uh, mountains with us. Well, here's the thing. They didn't just understand what we were doing by virtue of, oh yeah, they're hiking some mountains and that must be hard. What did they do? They put themselves, they weren't just observing the story, they put themselves in the story and became part of the story. And now they have complete understanding of what it's like and what it was going, what we were going through. And these people really went out of their way. They, you know It's a couple hour drive, we were doing the Sawatch range up there. It was a couple hour drive and they stayed the night and they spent gas money and took a day off of work, many of them to come help us do this. They didn't just observe the story, they put themselves in the story. Okay? And I will always, I will forever appreciate those people, by the way. Um, Here's the deal. Here's the point I'm trying to make. Jesus didn't just hear about the human story and be like, oh, that's great, I understand. He said, no, I'm going to take myself, I'm going to come be part of the story. I'm going to become a man, I'm going to become a human, and I'm, by virtue of experience, going to walk. Walk in their shoes, and I'm going to live a life, and I'm going to have complete understanding and complete empathy for what they go through. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way, yet he didn't sin. There's no nothing you're going through, nothing you've been tempted with, no pain you felt, physical or emotional, that Jesus hasn't experienced. This is why he is our perfect representative in heaven. He has complete understanding for us. He knows our frailty. He knows our human weaknesses. Today, I want to just take a couple angles. There's many ways we could, we could talk about this. I want to take a couple angles and show you how Jesus identified with your humanity. I want you to see him as your great high priest who's worthy of your absolute trust because he came and he put himself in your shoes and understands you completely. He is a personal God, personal God. I said God, like Mike Bickle, God, God. <laughs> He is a personal, personal God who understands us personally. Okay, so how did he identify with our human experience? Well, every way possible. But one thing I want to highlight today is Jesus understands what it's like to work. Everyone say work. Okay, Jesus understands, point number one, physical labor. Okay, Jesus didn't just, wasn't just born into this world and then went into full-time ministry immediately. I don't know if you know this. Jesus um, worked a living with his hands for most of his life. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus had a hardworking manual labor job before he was in full-time ministry. Did you know this? Jesus was about 33 years old when he he was resurrected and ascended into heaven, about 33 years old. Jesus began full-time ministry at about the age of 30. So Jesus' full-time ministry lasted about three years. Okay, now that's the epitome of quality over quantity, right? Because there's other people like myself who've been in ministry for, I don't know, how long have we been in ministry? Yeah, 15, 14, I don't know how many years, a long time. Okay, this is the epitome of quality over quantity, but he was only in full-time ministry for three years. And I'll talk about this in a little bit, but the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke really only record the last year of his ministry, the book of John is the only one that records um, the, first, the first two as well. <clears throat> okay. Jesus probably spent 20 plus years in, man, in a manual labor job. Okay. What was, what was his vocation? The Bible says in Mark chapter 3 um, that Jesus um, was the carpenter. Isn't this the carpenter? So Jesus was a carpenter by trade. And, the, and another one of the Gospels says, isn't this the carpenter's son? So we find that Jesus was a carpenter and it says he's the carpenter's son, which means he was part of the family business. Okay? His family business was carpentry. Um, but Jesus spent much more time in secular vocational work than in full-time ministry. Probably from the age of 10 or 12 years old, he probably started helping his father Joseph do manual labor. And to the age of 30... Approximately 30 years old um, did that did that job. Um, this is interesting to me, but the Greek the Greek word for uh, carpenter um, it means obviously carpenter, woodworker, more generally construction worker, including stonemason and metalworker. So we don't actually know because there's there's not clear records of Jesus in his vocation, but it is possible that Jesus not only you know people think carpenter and they think oh he built tables and chairs maybe you know but also a construction worker maybe he built houses maybe he worked as a stonemason maybe he worked in metal fabrication how many how many um construction workers do we have in here yeah how many stonemasons or metal fabricators do we have in the room okay that's real man work up in here (laughs) Okay, I don't, know about, I don't know if you know this, but um, I've, I've done some welding. I've done some, some manual labor like that. Okay, this is, I want you to see that our Lord Jesus, the one we worship, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, worked with his hands and probably had calluses on his hands. Okay, <clears throat> here's the point. God knows what it's like to work, not by virtue of omniscience, knowing all things, but by virtue of experience. He knows what it's like to get up when you don't want to get up and, and say yes sir to a boss that you don't want to say yes sir to, right? And to earn that paycheck, okay, Jesus knew what this was like. Now, <clears throat> we don't actually know what Jesus looked like. Um, there's many renditions of Jesus that people Um, you know, painted or drawn or over the years. And sometimes you see a person like, oh, that person looks like Jesus. We don't really know what he looked like. Um, Jesus is described in the Bible in his glorified state. In the book of Revelation, it talks about, I saw one like the son of man, and it's like brilliant, almost scary picture of Christ, okay? So there are some um, illustrations in the Bible of Jesus in his glorified state, but we really don't have details about Jesus, uh, the way he looked, and um, but over centuries and stuff some of the renditions that people have of Jesus they just like paint him as the wimpiest looking guy that's ever existed and I don't think it's accurate that, bo- that bothers me because I'm like this guy was a carpenter he was, a, he was working okay so go ahead and, go ahead and put the first, the first picture here okay I'm sorry that guy's not a carpenter that guy's not doing man work he's not metal fabricating and a stone mason okay um, he's just this wimpy looking guy. Okay, go to the next one. Okay, there's, there. no, I see, no, we were worshiping a minute ago, that, not him. No, we weren't worshiping him, we are worshiping someone else. Okay, this is like, like wimpy German Jesus now, okay? <laughs> the German Jesus I'll never get, like blonde hair, blue eyes, like we know that he was a, a Jewish man, Middle Eastern, okay, probably not blonde hair or blue eyes. okay. I think a more accurate picture is this next one. Go to the next one. Bam. Okay. We got yoked Jesus with 100% gain in there. Okay. I don't know. I don't know what he looked like. Maybe, okay, maybe not steroid Jesus. Okay. Okay. Probably wasn't steroid Jesus. But I bet he wasn't a weakling. I bet he had... Some definition and some muscular build. Why? He was working hard, physical labor for 20 plus years of his life. Amen? I'm saying this because I want you to identify with the one who identifies with you, knows what it's like to make a living. <laughs> this is the first time my wife's seen these pictures. Oh, she saw them upstairs. I didn't see your reaction, though. All right. Most certainly, Jesus had calloused hands. Most certainly, he knew what it was like to work. We don't know what he looked like, but I'm sure he had some muscle to him. Okay, so Jesus knows what it's like to work. Another thing that Jesus understands that is unique to the human experience is human relationships. That's point number two. Jesus understands human relationships. Okay, human relationships can be really rewarding, really amazing, they can be good. They can be bad. They can be horrendous, right? Okay. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that Jesus, in his personal relationships, ever dealt with drama? Sometimes we get such a sanitized version of, like, our view of Christ. Listen. Look at, look at this verse. Mark, Mark chapter 6, verse 3. It says this. Jesus started performing miracles, and the people who knew him and were familiar with him, it says this. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So their their overfamiliarity with Jesus, when he stepped into his full-time ministry after his baptism and and um, um, the baptism at the Jordan, when he began his ministry, um, people were like, "We know you. You grew up next to us. Who do you think you are?" And Aren't his brothers here and, and aren't his sisters here? We know that Jesus had four brothers, by what this says, and at least two sisters. Um, Jesus, um, Jesus is the oldest, obviously born of a virgin. Mary was a virgin, and then, but she didn't stay a virgin forever. She had, with Joseph, had, um, Jesus had other brothers and sisters. But this should tell us something about Jesus. I don't know about you, but if you were raised with brothers and sisters, you know that there's drama involved with siblings, Right? <clears throat> There is drama involved with siblings. Um, I was thinking about this while I was preparing this message, but my, I have an older brother. I have two brothers, an older brother, and then a half-sister. And my older brother, he's only 18 months older than me, so we're pretty close in age, but he was, you know, growing up a little bit bigger than me. But we'd fight a lot, as you do. And uh, one time, he was we were, like, on bunk beds, and I don't remember what he did, but I was so mad at him. And I'm like, I'm going to take a shot at him. So... I, I, you know, punch him um, in the head, and he saw it come and Kind of turned his head so I wouldn't hit his face, and my fist was like not packed quite right, and I broke I broke my ring finger by punching my brother in the head. That's the kind of things that happen when you have siblings, okay? And of course he chased me, and I don't remember if I got away or got pounded, but I also had a broken finger. Here's the deal drama, okay? We know that Jesus was perfect. He never sinned, but he wasn't surrounded by people who were perfect and never sinned, okay? You can be right in the room, but if you're surrounded with people who are immature and not perfect, guess what? There's going to be drama. It says this. uh, Look, let me show you some family drama. I'm just saying he understands you don't get along with your brothers, sisters, cousins, or whatever. He gets it. He understands this And this is stuff we can bring before him. Mark chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, it says this. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. So he's, he's gathering these large crowds at this point. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. So even his own family members, because of their familiarity with him, said, what are you doing? You've left the family business of carpentry. What's this Messiah talk? You're healing people. And let me translate this for you. They went to take charge of him. I'll translate this for you. They're basically saying, you can't be in charge of yourself. We have to be in charge of you. They went to take him by force. Jesus, come with us. You are making a scene up in here. And they went to take charge of him. Guys, listen, this is drama. There's some drama up in here, isn't there? Okay. Jesus had family members. He had... Siblings, he had mother, father, people, and, and drama. So they thought initially he was crazy. Let me give you some more examples. Jesus understands what it's like for all of his closest friends to desert him. Jesus was deserted, remember, by all of his disciples before the, before the cross. He understands what it's like to be betrayed Betrayed by a close friend. He understands that. He didn't just, that didn't just happen. Like, he felt that. He felt that, the human experience of being deserted. He felt the human experience of being betrayed. Listen, he had to feel that so he could empathize and sympathize with what we go through. How many of you have ever been betrayed before? How many have ever been deserted before? Okay? Jesus understands what that's like. Not by virtue of omniscience, but by virtue of the human experience that he had to go through. There's nothing he doesn't understand that you can't bring before him, and he wants you to bring your problems, your pains, your cares, your concerns before him. Point number three, Jesus understands pain. Emotional pain and physical pain. Let me, let me start with the emotional pain. Isaiah 53, which is a very clear picture of the Messiah. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but many um, Jewish uh, rabbis you have to be Jewish to be rabbi? I don't know. I said Jewish rabbis. That might be like a, a redundancy there. But anyway, rabbis, they take Isaiah 53, and it's known as like the forbidden chapter. They'll go Isaiah 52, skip Isaiah 53, and then go Isaiah 54, because it's such a clear picture of Jesus as the Messiah. But it says this, Isaiah 53, verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Listen, this is emotional pain. This is... This is emotional hurt. Have you ever been despised? Have you ever been rejected? Have you ever experienced grief? Jesus empathizes with that experience. He experienced all that. What about physical pain? This is obviously a slam dunk. You know, we know that Jesus died on the cross. We know how much he suffered. It says this Isaiah 53:5, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Jesus was mocked and ridic- ridiculed and tortured to death for our sins. He didn't, unlike us though, he didn't deserve to be mocked, ridic- ridiculed, and tortured to death. He took the, paid the penalty for the life we lived, or life we have lived. <clears throat> he understands emotional pain he understands physical pain. He has complete empathy for you. Let me conclude with this. In Mark chapter 6, it says, is this not the son of Mary? So they're identifying him the son of Mary. And in the book of John chapter 6, in a separate instance, it's not talking about the same instance, the Bible says, isn't this the son of Joseph? Okay, obviously we know Jesus was the son of both. He was the son of Mary, and his earthly father was Joseph. Joseph raised him. But why does Matthew and Mark say son of Mary, and the book of John says son of Joseph? I will explain that. All four Gospels start with the birth of Jesus and end with the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. But what you need to know is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke only record the last year of Jesus' ministry. John, the book of John was written much later after many of the disciples had been martyred. And John had obviously read the three synoptic gospels, that's similar gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And and he realized, you know what? They're recording the last year of Jesus' ministry. There's different, and they all have unique facets of that last year of ministry. But John says, I need to write a book and record the, the first two years of Jesus' ministry into, in addition to the last year of Jesus' ministry. This is why you'll find stories in John that you won't find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. For example, the wedding in Cana, where he turned water into wine, that's John 2. Um, the conversion of Nicodemus, John 3. The woman at the well, John 4. The man who was healed at the pool of Bethesda, John 5. The story of Lazarus being raised from the dead, John uh, John 11. So why does John say son of Joseph and Matthew say son of Mary? Well, John also records something that's not in the other three Gospels, and I want to read this to you. It's Jesus on the cross during the crucifixion. It says this. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said said to her, Woman here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. John records of himself that he took Mary into his home and took care of Mary from then on. Let me ask you a question. Why would that happen? Why would John take Mary into his home if Joseph, her husband, was still alive? Okay, he wouldn't. It wouldn't have happened. And historical documents of that day record that Joseph died in Jesus' third year of ministry. We, we, we can see this clearly that Joseph's early on in the story, but then at the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, like, where is Joseph? It's, it's clear that he passed away sometime during this process. And historical documents say it was his third year of ministry that Joseph died. So here's a question that I've pondered. Why didn't Jesus raise his father from the grave? Why didn't he raise him from the dead? He raised other people from the dead. And I don't know the answer to this question, but here's, here's a question I wonder. Is it possible that Jesus had not raised Joseph from the dead so that he could experience something that we experience? The pain and the agony of losing a loved one is it possible that Jesus so wanted to identify with our pain our sorrow our suffering that he experienced the death of his father the death of a close relative i don't know the answer to that but i here's what i do want to say jesus completely understands everything you have gone through everything you are going through and anything you ever will go through he has complete empathy complete sympathy and understands you he's experienced it all and as our great high priest in heaven he represents us perfectly to the father in heaven perfectly the father in heaven he is our perfect sacrifice and our righteousness is in him and he understands every human frailty whatever you're going through today whatever you will ever go through i want to assure you that god has complete empathy understands you he understands your frame and knows what it's like to walk a day in your shoes. So I'm going to have you guys stand. I want to pray for you this morning. He's not the big guy in the sky. He's the guy that came down and walked a life, lived a full life, and knows the human frame. He knows the human experience. I want to pray for you this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you for every individual in this place, Lord. God, you know all of our um, all of our shortcomings. You know all of our you know our frame. God, you know the pain that we've endured emotionally, physically. You've experienced it all because you became a man. God became flesh and dwelt among us, Lord. I just pray this morning that we would realize that you are worthy of our absolute trust. We can take anything to you. Were tempted in every way, yet without sin. You know what it's like to be tempted by. Um, by greed. You know what it's like to be tempted by lust. You know what it's like to be tempted um, in every way, Lord, yet you resisted sin, Lord. You have complete empathy for us, Lord, and I just bless um, your people here today, Lord. God, you know what it's like to suffer loss. You know what it's like to feel pain. Lord, we just thank you that you are our great high priest, and we can bring anything to you. We love you. We bless you in Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said amen. God bless you guys.